You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. So this is Living by Faith number five. Thus far, quick. This will be a quick recap. You're like, "Mm mm-hmm. You're asking for a miracle, Lord. How many remember the first one, Living by Faith? What was the golden text, if you will? What story was it? Cornelius. Remember Cornelius. He was a man in which Jesus looked upon him and saw that he indeed had faith. What did I say? Oh, Cornelius. The centurion soldier. Okay. My bad. Yes, not Cornelius. (laughs) The centurion. There we go. So the centurion soldier, uh, you know, said, just send your word. And that's sufficient. So he said, I myself am a man under authority, and I tell this one to go, and he goes. I tell this one to come, and he comes. And so likewise, because in the natural, I myself am a centurion soldier. I'm a man of Rome. I'm a, man, I'm a military man. And because I have authority, I understand and recognize you're a man under authority too. And you don't even have to come into my house. In fact, I didn't even consider myself worthy to have you to come into my house. And remember, this is a military man. This is a subject of Rome. He's an authority within Rome and Israel. Rome is the occupying power. And so therefore, he was showing great humility and great honor and showing preference saying, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house. And in so doing, what did he so? He bestowed great honor. And in bestowing great honor, this is one of the keys to doing what? Living by faith and Jesus remarking that he had great faith. The second point from that is also in addition to that, he didn't come for his own needs. He came because of his love that he had for a servant and for a slave within his house. He wasn't believing just for his own personal breakthrough like we often do within the church. Oh God, I'm believing I have great faith for me. And for my breakthrough and my increase in my house and my this and my that. And listen, God's willing to meet the needs of those things. But the showing of great faith wasn't expressed on behalf of getting victory for somebody else. Are you believing with great faith for victory on behalf of other people? Or is life revolved just simply around you? Number two, we have the Canaanite woman. The Canaanite woman, she also, like Cornelius, was believing not on her own personal breakthrough, but on what? A breakthrough for her demonized daughter. And she comes to a region there, and Jesus, uh, this woman could have been highly offended, but she showed great honor even when she can be offended. When the word comes to you, do you get offended and do you retaliate? Or do you humbly, okay, well, that person threw a javelin at me. I'll receive that. And Lord, I pray for that person. If you have to sit there and respond, you show that you're actually a person of unbelief because you don't trust God to be the vindicator on your behalf. And so we see the Canaanite woman was a woman who was believing on behalf of her daughter and wasn't willing to be deterred even when she was ignored by Jesus, which the scripture is very clear. He ignored her. And then also we see that he said some things that were very kind and they weren't very pastoral. Come on, are you here? He called her a dog. How many know if you get called a dog by a pastor, you're probably not going to go back to that church again? Are you here? Yet this woman did not allow that to become a seed of offense that grew into rebellion by which all of a sudden she stepped back and said, I'll have nothing to do with it. Had that have happened, she would have never got a breakthrough on behalf of her demonized daughter. 
So she showed, and Jesus remarked that she had great faith because of this attitude of honor that indeed she had. Who was the third one? Blind Bartimaeus. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, that was a wonderful one. He's by the roadside. He has no tool in the tool belt to be able to follow Jesus like everybody was doing. And as Jesus was walking by, because he can't see him in order to follow him, and like the woman with the issue of blood to touch the hem of his garment, why? Because he can't see. He uses the only tool in his tool belt, which is his voice, which is his ability to be able to sit there and shout out and and look like a spectacle right there in culture and society. In fact, the Bible says that when he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It says people went to go shut him down. And here was a fundamental principle. Whenever you go to step out in faith, you can always be assured fear will be right there to confront you. Fear will sit there and confront you. This is exactly what happened with Peter when he stepped out of the boat. What happened is the prince of the power of the air began to stir up the waves and the wind. And what ended up coming into him? The spirit of fear. And that's when he began to sink. Whenever you begin to move out in faith, you're actually moving out in the supernatural. And that's why we don't see the supernatural in the church today. Because people are bound up and they recess back into the natural. They recess back into the natural world, out of the supernatural world, and they recess back into fear. And they become comfortable in the bondage of fear. They think it's actually normal. Well, I live this way. My parents live this way. My grandparents live this way. My nation lives this way. My people live this way. Just because they live that way doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean it's kingdom. It means it's culture. You're still subject to the prince of the power of the air, and you shouldn't be subject to it. We are a supernatural people, and how do we accept? By stepping out in faith. And as I've said, there's always miracles that are going by. Always miracles that are going by. We look to heaven expecting miracles to come down. We actually step out in faith here in the earth. Miracles are always going by. We just don't reach out into that world and grab it like blind Bartimaeus does. Blind Bartimaeus could have let the miracle walk by and sit there and say, well, if it's God's will, he'll cause Jesus to redirect him, do a U-turn and come towards him. But that's the theology of many in the American church. Well, it's God's sovereign will. If he wants it to happen, it will happen. No, he went after it. He didn't leave it to the sovereignty of God. You see, we don't live by sovereignty. We live by faith. We please God, not by acknowledging his sovereignty. And I'm not suggesting at all in the least that there isn't the sovereignty of God, but we don't live by sovereignty. We live by faith. Are you here? Okay. That's why those who have the construct of just emphasizing in an erroneous, unbalanced way never see miracles in their life. They never see kingdom actually manifest because they don't know how to live by faith. They only know how to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Oh, some of you will get that by next week. Who was the fourth one? The paralyzed man who happened to get a bunch of family members around him to jump up on a roof of a house that wasn't his and start digging into it and destroying a person and an owner of a house, his property. And Jesus looked up and didn't say, say, wow, that's really rude of you to be doing this to the owner's house. He looked up and it says he saw faith. Did you just hear what I just said? He looked at a man... And the company that was there, because there was a crowd around Jesus, they obviously could not come in through the front door. They could not come in through the exit. They could not come in through the windows because everybody was looking. There was a great crowd, but yet they knew 
That paralyzed man knew Jesus could heal him, so he, they climb up on the roof and dig right underneath, and as Jesus is sitting there preaching, all of a sudden, hay and stubble and all these things begin to fall on him. He looks up, sunlight comes upon him, and what do you have? You have a guy sitting there being lowered who is paralyzed. And Jesus looked up, didn't rebuke him, saying, what are you destroying this house for? Don't you know I'm a guest here? Are you here? Jesus looks up and it says he saw their faith by the destroying of that house's roof. Which proves you can see but not see. You have to see beyond the natural and see the motivations as to why people do what they do. So when this was happening, it says Jesus saw their faith. And what ended up happening, they ended up receiving a miracle because they stepped out in faith by stepping up on a roof. When they couldn't get to Jesus, they said, we are going to get to him. So what I want you to apprehend is not just the principles of faith. I want you to see the spirit of faith that blind Bartimaeus has. I want you to see the spirit that actually operates in the paralyzed man. I actually want you to see the spirit that operated in the centurion. I want you to be able to see the spirit of faith that actually operated in the Canaanite woman. You see, it's not good enough because according to Corinthians, we have received what? A spirit of faith. This means it's not a personality. You can't just look and say, well, pastor has this, you know, a type of personality, and this is just the way he is. This is why he has faith. It has nothing to do with personality. It has to do with the spirit of God. It's not about personality. It's about a spirit that you receive, and it's a spirit of faith, which means if it's a spirit, you can receive it too. I don't care if you're a melancholy or a phlegmatic, you can receive the spirit of faith. Okay? Don't make something about a personality or a human personality when actually it's about his spirit. Are you here? Okay, now let's go on. Didn't I tell you it'd be short? Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 16. This is living by faith, number five, by prayer and fasting. This deals with a little bit of demonology on this Sunday morning. But there's actually larger principles that are to be dealt with that we want to extract from the subject here to, uh, with regards to principles to living by faith. Amen? Amen? It says this. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And it says, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus... They were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. Jesus asked this question, what are you arguing with them about? He asked. Then it continues on in verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, what? That is the spirit. Whenever the spirit seizes the boy. It throws him to the ground. So notice that there's manifestations there. It throws him to the ground. Notice other manifestations. It says he foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. Notice this, but they could not. Okay, let's read on. Verse 19. Here's Jesus' response to this testimony. 
You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, that is the boy who was demonized, and it says when the spirit, say the spirit, this is the unclean spirit, not the Holy Spirit. It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, because Jesus is what? The anointed one. So the spirit sees the anointing. Yes. Okay? This is why spirits will manifest because of the anointing. It's proof that there's an anointing that is there. It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. It says the boy fell to the ground and rolled around. He almost looked like a Pentecostal there. But wasn't under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was an unclean spirit. Okay. Then it goes on to say that he, was, he rolled around foaming at the mouth. That's how you know it wasn't the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost won't make you foam at the mouth. So it goes on in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. Here's Jesus' response to this plea of sympathy. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Continues on in verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, notice what Jesus' response was. He rebuked the unclean spirit, and this is what he said. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter the boy again. It continues on, the spirit shrieked. Notice under the command, the spirit simply still continued to shriek, manifest, cause a scene. And then it says, convulsed him violently and then came out because it always has to come out when you give it commands. It says, the boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. It continues on in verse 28. Mm, just the reading of the scripture. I'm loving it. It says in verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, in other words, he's now in a connect group with his disciples. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. In most all other manuscripts, it says, and fasting. Some argue, well, the earliest and the best, but nonetheless, the principle of getting victory over demon power in general within the scripture is found in prayer and in fasting. You say where that's at, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. When Jesus had an encounter with the devil, it was during a time of prayer and fasting. So though here it says by prayer, I believe it's actually prayer and fasting, and everyone says. Amen. Now, let's go to the beginning, and let's unpack this. Amen? Is this okay? Yes. This is when they came to the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them, which is definitely what Pharisees want to do. They want to engage in order to bring an atmosphere of unbelief. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, this is arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with water. They ran to go greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked them. So notice Jesus begins to ask questions about what's the activity that's going on. Why? Jesus is now entering into a spiritual atmosphere, and it's specifically a spiritual atmosphere of unbelief that he bumps into. So now Jesus coming into this atmosphere is beginning to ask questions. Okay, now... A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought to you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Notice that the spirit is identified by what it does. It robs him of his speech. This is why when Jesus goes on to drive out the spirit, he commands it as a deaf and dumb spirit. Why? Because the intel that he got wasn't from the Spirit. It was actually from the Father. Teacher, he said to Jesus. Notice it says that the Spirit seizes him and does what? Robs him of his speech. Which means a Spirit is easy to identify. You don't have to go through the process by asking the Spirit what his name is. You identify it by what it does. Okay, if you're dealing with a bunch of young college kids that have a problem with sexual immorality, you call the lust devil. How it manifests is how you identify it. It's not complicated. You don't have to say, well, what's your name and how long? You don't have to ask all those questions. You identify it by its nature. This is why the predominant demon that that Jesus actually drove out was unclean or impure spirits. Why? Because that's what every spirit does. That's a no-brainer. What kind of spirit is? It's an unclean spirit. Why? Because according to Levitical law, in order to live a clean life, notice everything had to be cleansed by the water and everything had to be anointed by oil. So the concept of uncleanness actually all the way goes back to the Levitical law of the temple and everything in the temple having to be cleansed. So the, it was an issue of clean and unclean. Just like a leper, when he came through, he had to shout out what? Unclean, unclean. What do spirits do? They cause you to live unclean lives. So what's the name of a spirit? It's an unclean spirit. I don't care what it's ranking. It, it becomes irrelevant in a moot point. Okay, now watch this. It continues on. Notice that when Jesus, right, it says... He becomes risen. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Notice Jesus' response, and let's also notice what his response was not. Jesus never inquired of his disciples, well, what was your methodology? Wow. He bumps into it, says, I brought my boy to your disciples. They couldn't do it. Notice Jesus didn't go to his disciples and say, well, what methodology did you use? Did you find out if it's a generational curse? Did you ask them to fill out 16 forms about where this could have came from? He doesn't ask any. He does not ask about their methodology. Because methodology can only bring you so far. You have to be reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus is not even concerned in their methodology and doesn't ask, how did you actually minister to it? That's the first thing. The second thing is I want to remind you that the disciples have already had success in victory in casting out demons. Do you remember back in the time in which the first time they were commissioned, they came back and what did they with joy declare? Wow, Jesus, even spirits are subject to us in your name. So they already had victory. So they are already operating in it. And Jesus kind of rebuffs it a little bit. He says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, it's no big deal. Jesus is trying to downplay this power that's operating because he wants to normalize it in your life. Don't think it's a, wow, look at me. I'm a minister and I know how to drive out demons. Whoopie-doo. That's called normal Christian living. If you don't do it, you're not normal. You're incapacitated as a Christian. Come on, are you here? What I want to do is, listen, I, and, and I'm going to hit at certain things, and I know I'm going to be hitting at YouTube preachers and things like that. My intent is not to throw a wet blanket upon you, but actually to remove the ceiling of unbelief over your head. So I want to assist you and add to you, and if you disagree, that's okay, as long as you're doing it. So Jesus doesn't ask, well, what was your methodology? How did you do? Did you do a council session first? Did you find out if they're prepared? He doesn't ask any of these questions. He simply makes a statement. You unbelieving generation. In other words, faith is always going to get demon power out of vessels. Period. Not your methodology. Because you can use methodology and it gives you Victory, but you might bump into a spirit in which your methodology doesn't work. And so therefore, you need to revert not to methodologies, but to having faith in him. The problem is in our Christian life, we love our microwave Christianity. Just give me a method. Just give me a formula. Exactly. Okay, and this is exactly what can happen to all Christians. It's kind of like in the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, they go into the promised land. And God gives them this great plan of victory. And what is it? March around the walls of Jericho ten times. Say what? Where we have our arms that are here. We have all this. And you want us to do what? I want you to march around ten times. Oh, and then by the way, don't have the army sit there right there. What I want you to do is have guys blow in priests, blow trumpets. That doesn't seem to be appropriate, Jesus. Right? Or God. It's the Old Testament. Doesn't seem to be appropriate. But what ends up happening? They end up getting victory. Why? Because all things are possible to those who live by faith in what he said. And he said, march around 10 times, just do it. Okay? Now, here's what methodology will do. Wow, look at it. Let's do this in AI in the next town. Right? That was the only time God instructed them to do it. What man likes to do is make a methodology out of the success and then write a book about it. Oh, it worked this time. Let's do it again. And in so doing, you actually move out of faith and you begin to establish methodologies of unbelief. Mm, I felt the anointing on that one. Wow, I saw Jesus sit there and spit on the ground, make spit. I don't get that one, and then put it in the eye. And then what do we do? We make a tradition to where we say, line them up, 
put, 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 put. Let's make dirt and let's put dirt in everybody and make a methodology out of something that the Holy Spirit may only gave you for that one time to do. Come on, are you here? Why? Because we love to automate our Christianity into traditions and methodologies instead of being dependent upon his presence as the source. So Jesus never inquired of the disciples, what's your methodology? What did you use? Did you have this? Notice, again, can you sense the annoyance of Jesus? You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? It doesn't sound very encouraging what he's saying. This sounds like a rebuke to me. How long shall I bring you? Bring the boy to me. There almost seems like, oh, brother, how long do I have to do this? I already told you to do it. Why don't you go out and do it? Okay. This same annoyance that Jesus had is the same annoyance that actually the apostle Paul had in Acts chapter 16. You remember the slave woman? She's actually following after Paul and Silas. And we're actually going to break that down a little bit further a little bit later if we have time. But if you look at it, there's a slave woman who has a spirit of divination. In fact, it's called a python spirit in Acts chapter 16. They're following Paul and Silas. And what is she doing? The Bible says she's shouting out that these men declare the way of the Most High and how to be saved. How many know she's actually theologically correct in what she's saying? But the spirit was the wrong source. The Bible says that this happened for many days. So here he's got free publicity. Facebook is giving you free advertisement, social media, all this. She's sitting there shouting that these men and everything she's saying is theologically correct. The problem is, is the source of the information. So it says for several days he's doing it. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says that he was actually annoyed, kind of like Jesus is here actually annoyed, turns around, and so he's not actually full of compassion for the slave woman. The Bible doesn't say he actually sat there, you know, and sowed the seed of the gospel and tried to win her or hand her a track or any of those things. He's simply annoyed by her. And then turns around and says, come out of her. So it was a ministry not of uh, compassion to see the slave woman set free. It was a ministry of annoyance. So go put that in your theological pipe and smoke that one. He's sitting there getting free airtime, and it says he became annoyed. Why? Because it was the Spirit was agitating the Holy Spirit on the inside of the Apostle Paul. He finally discerns, I know why I'm annoyed. That's actually a spirit. And specifically, it was through a word of knowledge. He didn't get the information from the slave woman. He didn't say, by the way, what's your name? He didn't get information and intel from the Spirit. He got information from the Holy Ghost. Why? Because one of the gifts of the Spirit is what? The discerning of spirits. So why do I want to go to an unclean spirit to get information when we're supposed to get our information from the Holy Ghost? So when you see on YouTube, and again, I want to be very, very nice. You see preachers and YouTube preachers sitting there talking to demons. What's your name? How long have you been there? It becomes completely irrelevant if the people have met the conditions for deliverance. I don't care if the spirit came in yesterday, last week, last month, last year, or a decade ago. It becomes irrelevant if the person's met the conditions of they have repented. I don't care when it came in. They have to come out. 
So why are you going for information that becomes irrelevant for people who have been prepared? Because somehow you think you now all of a sudden have superhuman strength over that spirit because now you know its name. That's not true. Where is that in the Bible? And we're going to get more into that. Come on, are you here? If an intruder breaks into my house, I don't have authority over the intruder. Hey, by the way, what's your name? I just pop them. Why? Because it's my home. I have authority. I don't say, I got to find out your name in order to sit there and shoot the gun on you. Where is it we've created this theology that we have to have a conversation? I know what you're going to say. Jesus did it with Legion. And we're going to actually break that down. That's actually one case in which Jesus asked one question with four words. What is your name? And then we've created this methodology by which now we ask every single time when that actually wasn't the pattern. He commanded us to cast out demons, not have conversations with them. Authority isn't to have conversations. It's to cast out. You can tell I'm a little bit annoyed. It's because, listen to me, I want you to hear my heart in this. It's because I see a lot of kind of these YouTube guys, they're actually having conversations with actually low-level ranking demons that should be cast out within 15 seconds if the conditions were meant, and they're dragging it out having conversations for 20 minutes. And that gets annoying. Okay, when you're over in South, I know what it is to engage high-ranking spirits that took 15 minutes and travail in a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and even other people to be able to speak and to minister. But when you're just talking about an unclean spirit or a lust demon, and you're sitting and it's a low-ranking spirit, and you're sitting there having these conversations with them, and you're exploiting it, you are not exercising authority. You're exercising conversations. Are you here? Okay, let's go on. You see, so they brought him to it. When the spirit saw Jesus, what was this? The presence of Jesus forced the spirit to manifest. The spirits cannot stand the anointing of God. When the anointing is upon you, demons cannot stand being in the presence. That's why they manifest. They make themselves known. So we see when this happened with Jesus, Jesus wasn't taken back by that. Like, whoa, what's going on? This is called normal, okay? Nor did he sensationalize it. Let's continue on to the next one. Jesus asked the boy's father. Now, again, what just happened? He fell back into a manifestation again. Jesus asked the boy's father. Notice Jesus didn't ask the spirit. It says he asked the boy's father. He got intel from the father, not the spirit. He didn't fall on it and sit there and try to engage the spirit in order to get intel. It says Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Notice what Jesus says, from childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. So notice that Jesus asked and received intel, as I stated, from the Father, not from the Spirit. That's the first thing. So let me give you some reasons not to talk to demons. And I've, and I've listened to every video on all the reasons why people do do it. Is this okay? I want to help you. 
As a church, I want us to have a strong atmosphere of deliverance, but it needs to be balanced and it needs to be accurate and it needs to be strong, not soulish. That's right, yes. Jesus, number one, didn't do it. You may respond, yes, he did with legion. But Jesus makes that the exception. Don't you make that the rule? Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When evening came, many, say many. It says, many who were demon-possessed, or demonized is the correct, were brought to him. So what do we have? Lots of people. Agree? According to Scripture. It says, many were brought to him, and it says he drove out the spirits, plural, which means people, which were many, had many demons individually. So how many know with many people and with many demons, there's lots of deliverance that's going on? So it says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits. Notice that's not singular, it's plural. Notice he drove them out with a word, not with conversation. So the authority isn't for you to have conversation, and it's only to have conversation if conversation is for you to give commands. So notice this. It says, with a word, and notice, and he healed all the sick. Notice he drove out spirits, not dialogued with spirits. Some people only have faith to dialogue with spirits, but not to drive them out. Why? Because they saw you two preacher do it. Oh, well, he had a conversation with them. He caused it to, you know, which was really the anointing that brought it forth. You, by the gift of God, causing the spirit manifest is not the pinnacle of your spiritual success. Okay? That's actually super easy. I've walked into the nations. Can I tell you something? The first time I went to the Philippines and I began to minister in the jungles, uh, not in the Philippines, excuse me, in Malaysia, was minister out in the jungles. There were, amongst the Filipinos that I was ministering to, do you know I would go to what was considered their home groups, their cell groups, and I would stand up as the guest minister, first time there, and this is in a house, and they're very impoverished. I would begin to, oh, Father, I just thank you, and I bless you for this time in which we've come together. I would literally pray for probably two minutes when I opened up my eyes. Half the people would be manifesting demons just before I closed in prayer. I didn't, wasn't ministering. I didn't open up the Bible and preach. I didn't ask for a prayer line. I simply, oh, Father, my eyes are closed. I just thank you. I ask for your anointing to come. Let your power come in the name of Jesus. Set your people free that are here that need to be set free. I'd open up and half of them would be rolling on the ground under demon power. Just under opening of prayer. I can tell you deliverance went real easy. Just opening up in prayer caused demons to manifest. I don't have to have conversations with them. I just have to give commands. Some people believe the authority is to have conversations. It's not to have conversations. It's to exercise authority. The very idea of the definition of authority isn't to have a communication, but it's to exercise subjugation to. So you command them to come out. Are you here? Don't get mesmerized by all this nonsense. Everything must be subject to the word of God. Yes. Now watch this. In Mark chapter 2, here's the second one. I just gave you, what was it, Matthew chapter 8. Is this okay? We're definitely not going to get through this. 
So we'll have, you know, you'll have to come for the next service. Maybe we'll get a little further along. It says this, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 23 to 27. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And notice what Jesus says to this. Number one, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. So we see he's annoyed by his spiritual atmosphere in the scripture that we just read. He's annoyed by his spiritual atmosphere of unbelief. And here he's actually, we see that he's perturbed and he commands and he's actually doing it sternly. So Jesus's spirit that he cared was one of righteous indignation when it came to spirits. Why? Because they robbed human beings of their dignity as a creation being created in the image of God. This is why I'm concerned when people don't get annoyed in deliverance ministry and they think it's a game. Look what I did. You should be annoyed by that. That person was created in the image of God. You should be there to protect by driving out in order to preserve the dignity of human beings to exploit it and to put it up there on social media. I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus would do. Hey, by the way, Judas, come over here with the camera. Get your, the camera on here. He wouldn't do such a thing like that. I mean, just think in this house, some of you that have been delivered. What if we had Adam Chan, who's come behind the pulpit, and how many have agreed? He's come forth with some powerful, powerful messages. But what if the only viral video there was of him rolling on the ground when we got all those Asian demons out of him? What am I here to do? He's my son. Do you think Paul would sit there and put the camera on Timothy, Titus, and Philemon and use it as an object lesson? No, he would be protecting their dignity knowing that they are future ministers of the gospel. And you say, well, you know how I know it's duplicitous? Because these same people that will actually do that will invite and they literally declare on social media. If you're a pastor, come to us. We'll pray for you in private. So you're willing to protect the dignity of preachers because they're preachers, but not the common laity. That shows me you're a hypocrite. So you protect the dignity and you invite pastors to come and you'll do it behind closed doors, but yet you won't do it with the general congregation. You're a hypocrite. Your dignity is worth protecting just as much as the greatest preacher that there is. So who are you to pick and choose whose dignity you decide to protect? Now, again... Hear my heart in all this. You got to see the value of human beings and not exploit it for your ministry. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Where was I at? What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Why did Jesus say be quiet? Why do you see him consistently say shut up? I love Martin Luther's translation of the German. The colloquialism that he uses in the German, in the English equivalent, would be not be quiet, but shut up. And if I'm speaking sternly to an enemy, I'm not going to be dignified with him. So that's why I kind of, I like the personality of Martin Luther. And he was probably a little bit boorish, they call it. He's a little bit crude in his language. But I like that. Jesus said, shut up. Why? Because he did not want the enemy manifesting in the first world. 
and filling the room with the presence of demon power using a vessel that was created in his image. And he got annoyed by its manifestation. We don't want the manifestations of demons. We want the manifestations of God. We want the glory of God to fill it. Yeah, but people see it. I agree with it. But notice what Jesus did in the scripture when he saw the crowds running. What was his response when he saw the crowds coming? It says he shut it down and then commanded it to leave. In other words, Jesus wasn't willing to use that situation to exploit it. Come on, are you here? It says when he saw the crowds coming. Why? Because all of a sudden there's all this chaos. You got this spirit that threw the boy. He's foaming at the mouth. He's rolling around. He sees the crowds. And what does he want to do? He wants to bring an end to this nonsense. He doesn't want to give airtime to the enemy. And the people, what does it say about Jesus? They marveled at what point? That he had had authority over demons and gave them orders. Not that Jesus had conversations, but that he gave them orders. Are you here? Are you okay with this? You still love your pastor? I want you to remove the ceiling of methodologies over you so that you know all things are possible and that Jesus's methodology was a methodology of moving by faith and giving orders, shut up and come out. Why do I say shut up? Because your presence is filling the first world. Now, I'm not talking about shut it down so that the spirit recesses back into the vessel, recesses back into the unseen. I'm not talking about that. And for those of you who know us, we deal with it. It's shutting it down so its presence doesn't fill the building, shutting it down and commanding it to come out. Not shutting it down to recess back into inactivity by which now it goes possum. Okay? Shutting it down in order to give orders to cast out. Commanding it, shut up, come out. In fact, say that with me. Shut up. up. Come out. Those are the two most important things we can see as the pattern of Jesus. Not how long, not all these things that we do, unless you get it as a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. But if you use that as a methodology, the Spirit already knows that's your theology. So he goes, I know how I'm going to sit here and get him in a tug-of-war, because you have a tug-of-war theology. I know he thinks he has to have a conversation in order to have authority over me, which I don't have to have a conversation in order to have authority over you. Are you here? If they've met the conditions, then they qualify in order to receive it. So the issue isn't having a conversation. The issue is bringing the vessel into a place by which they're prepared. This is why we don't minister to open people. And and, and I'm meaning this for you to go, what? I never minister deliverance to open people. I minister deliverance to prepared people. Did you just hear what I just said? When Jesus talked about a house that was swept, it was clean, and it was put in order, that was an open house to the power of God. What was the problem? It was not prepared to be subject to the lordship of Jesus. It wasn't occupied. I never look to release the power of God in open people. I could do that all day long and sit there and see how powerful I am. I know how to release the power of God. I'm not looking to release the power of God in open people, but prepared people. How do people come prepared? 
by the message that is actually preached. This is why Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and look for open people to release the power of God in. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So you prepare people by your message that you preach. Are you here? In fact, the early church took this so seriously that especially when you begin to go past the uh, first century church into your uh, apostolic fathers, your post-apostolic, your, your early church fathers, when you go into it, and I would agree they got into asceticism, but sometimes you actually had to be in communion with the church for at least two years. You had to be under their discipleship. You had to be praying and fasting and doing all these things, which probably was an extreme legalism in order to be prepared in order to receive deliverance. We don't live in a culture of asceticism. We live on the other end of it by which we're open, but we're not prepared. So they, in the early church, especially when they got into church history a little bit, they got into preparedness through legalism. But we don't live in that culture. We're on the opposite end. We live in a culture of lawlessness. Does that make sense? So that's why I say, I don't look to release the power of God in people that are open. Because you find out that ends up becoming problems because what was the end of that story? Now a spirit comes back. Why? Because the vessel was not prepared. No word was brought that, yes, the power of God will clean you. Yes, the power of God will put you in order. The problem is, is are you willing to live to the subjugation of his lordship? Will you do what he says? And in so doing, you invite him to be the stronger man than the enemy was there and allowed Jesus to be the strong man who lives in your house and controls your house. Amen. That house was open, but it was never prepared. This is why I say I don't look for open. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and find people that are open. He said preach the gospel. What was the message of the first century church? What was it that the apostle Peter preached? Repent, every one of you. And then this gift of the Holy Spirit is for you upon the foundation of repentance. That's why Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 is the foundational one. Repentance from acts that lead to, to death and placing your faith in God. This is why Jesus, when Jesus commissions his disciples and said, don't go amongst the Samaritans, don't go amongst the Gentiles, and then he tells them actually what to preach. Why? Because it's not the release of the power of God. It's what's the message that's being preached. Are you bringing men to repentance? And the problem is in our culture, we live in a culture of victimization rather than taking personal responsibility unto repentance. So we got a lot of people that are trying to minister to open people, but they're not prepared people because they've never come to the place of repentance because they're all victims. Well, this was done to me. This is why a lot of the preaching about inner healing is about, oh, woe was you. I was hurt. I was rejected. This church leader hurt me and all this. And you become a victim. Right. When the foundation is, man, I'm a sinner. God is commanding men everywhere to repent. That was the message that was preached in the early church. Yes. Calling people to repentance. Yes. Calling men to the cross. Are you willing to pick up the cross? Then you're not prepared. So don't get enamored by all this nonsense that you see, okay? All right. Now, remember that I am on slide number five right there, and we'll close it right now. Did you guys get something out of that? You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. 
Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.